1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. No big intro to this one. I'm just gonna get straight on with the show into the conversation with my guest today. I'm delighted to welcome back Charles Watts. Hi, Charles.
0: Hello, Andrew. Good to be back, mate. How's things?
1: They're pretty good, I have to say. We were just saying it's been a it's been a kinda quiet week because when you win 6-0. And perform the way Arsenal did on Sunday. There's not a great deal left to say about anything, is there? Once once you get over the well, that was very good.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not at all. There's no sort of you know you're not pouring over what went wrong, not looking at goals conceded and all that sort of stuff. It was just yeah, it's been a quiet week, and long may that continue between now and the end of the season. It was a lot of fun. I yeah. tell you what, that was a lot of fun to be at at the weekend. I was I was sat my seat in the press box was literally the very last seat next to the fans so I was basically sitting in the West Ham fans and um, (laughs) yeah it was a lot of fun (laughs) watching those goals and fair play to the ones that were left around me when Declan Rice scored they just started laughing it got to that point where it's just like I think they they there was like of course that was going to happen of course Declan Rice was going to stick one in from 30 yards in the top corner Um, yeah they saw it they did see the funny side of it by the end it was uh, yeah it was a lot of fun
1: it's a good job there was a few of them there still uh, yeah, to to They're have that you. moment, you know, um, but that's it. You know, if you can if you can win games to the point where you're uh, emptying stadiums, you're you're definitely doing something right. And it, it's it's sort of interesting to reflect on that performance a bit as well because I think people have you know harbored some concerns this season. They've been a little bit worried about you know the is the football uh, as exciting as it needs to be? Is it as attacking as it needs to be? Um, there is obviously some method to Mikel Arteta's madness. There's no question that he just sort of makes things up as he goes along. I mean, is this the kind of performance you think that that he's been waiting for a little bit from his team? You know, we've had the discussions about strikers and that little attacking um, lull that the team went through. Um, but, you know, this felt like a very cohesive Arsenal performance, particularly when you consider that there were... Six or seven first team players, potential first team players, missing for this game as well.
0: Yeah, it did feel it did have that sort of air of a performance of things clicking into gear at the right time as well. I think you know, I suppose you could look at last season. I I I do hate sort of casting back to last season. It's like, but it's very easy to do. I think we we do it all the time, don't we? But when you look at it, we were flying out the blocks. Everything seemed to be going right, but it just. It's like, could you maintain that for the for the majority of the season? Whereas this season, it feels like it's been a lot more planned in a way. Yes, it's maybe been a little bit more boring. I think that word's probably fair to say at times, mm. but they're there. And Man City, we see time and time again, they peak at the right time every single season. And maybe this is a sign that Arsenal are now beginning to peak at the right time. And it's interesting when you look at, when you compare where they were last season, Arsenal, after 24 games, to where they are this season. They've scored more goals now. This mm-hmm. season, they've scored one more goal, conceded less goals as well. Had they had, I think, four more points last season, of course. But, um, but still, the fact they've conceded, they've scored more goals, sorry, at this stage, you know, after 24 games, mm. it surprised me. Um, and it suggests, you know, they are, they are beginning to track. I mean, the, the boost since Dubai has been massive, isn't it? 16 goals scored, I think, and two goals conceded. It's just been chalk and cheese and it's, Arsenal level now with Man City in terms of goal difference, which could prove to be really important come the end of the season. It did. I did come away from that game. It was just a really interesting one leading up to it. Sorry, after what happened against Liverpool, it's like, what are they going to do here? You know how how are you going to back up that result against Liverpool? Is it going to be a classic Arsenal type? Do the hard work against Liverpool and then slip against West Ham, or are they going to really build on it? And the way they built on it, that performance, just the going away from home to a difficult place Mm. and. And basically smashing West Ham into oblivion. You know they were, you know they were on their knees when that Declan Rice goal went in, and <laughs> the Kufal's quotes after the game were hilarious. And yeah, that's what they felt like. You know, Arsenal battered them into submission, and that's what you want to do at this stage of the season. So you know, I, can't, it's, I, I came away feeling really good about what's to come.
1: Do you think that this is a team that has been set up to be more capable of going the distance? You know, clearly there were issues last season um, with injuries that affected Arsenal in the run-in and affected results in the run-in as well. But it sort of feels like, you know, since that summer, the Odegaard, Ramsdale, Tommy Asu um, summer, you know, where they brought in those six players, uh, Ben White as well, you know, that, that... the squad is being incrementally built and expanded on and and there is more depth even without those six or seven players that I I mentioned but in terms of the physical development of the squad that you have to be uh, you have to try and go toe-to-toe with Man City not just in terms of results and performances but what you're capable of all the way to May I mean it, it happens all the time that you see teams run out of steam sometimes it's because they're mid-table there's nothing left to play for and it's really hard to motivate yourself what's the difference between finishing ninth and tenth you know but often teams that get relegated a team that goes the distance a team that can win the title is capable of of you know going right the way to the final game if needs be but sometimes you know, winning a load of games in a row a city do, which then allows you to take your foot off the gas a little bit towards the towards the end of the season. Like you can play the final three or four games. Um maybe you have to play them to um you know to go the whole season unbeaten uh, and find your motiva- motivation that way. But you know, the 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 sort of the capability, the physical capability of the this group of players feels to me anyway like there's been something deliberate about um, looking to peak at this time of the season or certainly, let's say, between now and May.
0: Yeah, I think that word deliberate is is, is a very good word to kind of describe what Arsenal did. You know, Mikel went away in the summer. What happened at the end of last season really did, you know, it really hurt Mikel. It, it took him a, a while. He really had to sort of think about what went wrong and how do you close that gap on City? How do you go the distance with Manchester City? Because so, it was so mm. close last season. Like you said, they ran out of steam and, they were very, very deliberate in the summer about who they targeted. And obviously the, the injury to Euron Timber was a massive blow and that kind of put them on a the back foot straight away. But it's still, just with the additions of, of Rice and, and Havertz, who admit he's taken a little bit of time to settle, but still it just strengthened them. And I think Rice especially is just so important to it. You know, if Rice can stay fit between now and the end of the season, he's basically like having two players on the pitch at times. He really is. Mm. His physical capability is just outstanding. Um, has he surprised and, you? Oh, he's massive. Well, I was going to say he massively surprised me. He had he the fact how good he is has surprised. I knew he was good, and I knew he was going to be a transformational signing. You know, at, at the time it felt like this is a this is a proper signing for Arsenal. This does take them to the next level. But even having said that, I've still been surprised at just how good he is. Mm. I just find myself all the time thinking that parallel universe where he chose Manchester City and but we might as well all go home like honestly Andrew we we all could have just turned off the TVs not bothered going to get anything you know it would have been done and dusted 100% and that um, you know that was huge that Arsenal won that race and I I think he's that good and he's only going to get better as well because he's still adjusting to to the team new surroundings to a Mikel Arteta's um, what Mikel Arteta wants which does take players a long time to um, adjust to and he's admitted that himself but just the addition of him on his own has just made Arsenal so much better, I think. And physically, it makes them so much better in terms of lasting the pace and, and going toe to toe with Manchester City. I, I really cannot wait for that game at the Etihad. If Arsenal can keep everyone fit mm. and can be there in and about Man City in that game when that game rolls around at the Etihad, and Arsenal have got Rice in that midfield and you know whoever plays alongside, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they stand up to that and, and how they perform because I. I feel really confident with this team mm. that they can go there and put in the type of performance that a title-winning team needs to put in if they're going to get that trophy. Yeah. We saw it. We go back to the Wenger days and you know going up and winning the title at Trafford and, th- and things like that. When mm. you just had players, you could go out there and revel in that type of atmosphere and, and occasion. And I do feel, looking at this Arsenal team and the way it's developed and the additions that they made, that it has the makings of a team that could go up and and do that, you know, produce that type of performance and pick up that type of result in the biggest of games.
1: How important is it at this time of the season as well with Europe um, starting up again and Arsenal are in action next week, of course, that some of these injured players get back and get back to, you know, being consistently fit? You know, yeah. because Timber, we know, is a bit of a special case because of uh, the kind of injury that he picked up. But, you know, players like Tommy Asu, like Sinchenko, who are a little bit brittle, a little bit injury prone. Thomas Partey, you know, has barely played this season. Fabio Vieira had surgery. Smith Rowe, we know his troubles um, um, throughout this season. Gabriel Jesus, you know, these little niggling injuries that deny you the ability to rotate and the ability to to adapt as well tactically. I think that's the other thing that people maybe don't talk about too much when when players are out. It's like, okay, well, everyone's going to be really tired. We're asking a lot of the players who are fit uh, and we need to be able to rest some legs. But there's also the ability to do things differently on the pitch from the manager's perspective different ways of setting up different ways of of sending your team out maybe surprising the opposition which could be you know a factor in this um in this run in in this final stage of the season so you know the the need for these guys to come back pretty quickly is is kind of obvious isn't it
0: it is yeah i mean you just had to look at the bench against west ham to uh, to see how important it was i obviously was in the press room when the team sheets came out and your eyes immediately looked at that bench which was like whoa that's mm. uh, that doesn't look like there's not many game changes on that bench to come in and change things and when you kind of compare it to manchester city at the time you know city basically before their champions league game city had everyone fit i mean they picked up a couple of injuries in that champions league game but they had everyone fit and you looked at the bench in recent games for city and the options that pep has and, kind of compare that at the moment to Arsenal with the players they've got out it's mm. it's it's night and day and I mean it's, it's absolutely huge especially some of those players you can play in a multitude of positions like you said Tommy Asu can come back if he's fit can provide that cover if you need him at right back centre back at left back um Emil Smith Rowe as well I still think has got a big part to play in this season I don't you know that injury as far as I'm weight it's not a, it's not a bad one it's not like you know one of his muscle injuries he has it's just a bit it was a bit of a freak training ground thing where you know you jump over a tackle you land as we've all done it, playing football yeah. and roll your ankle a little bit. And um, it should only be, you know, if he's not back for Burnley, then he should certainly be back a- after that. You know, Thomas Party, it's, we'd all love him to be back and fit and it is very best, but I mean, what, 14 games to go now with, like you said, we've not seen him all season. It would be huge if he could come back and play a part in this season, but it's tough, isn't it? It's tough to, it's tough to really be confident that that's going to happen now, which is a real shame. Um, but then Jesus and Chenko players who have been there and done it. I mean it's just it's so important. It is, like you said, especially with the Champion League starting, be able to rotate, to be able to give players a rest when need be, but and be confident of the players that you're bringing in that they can come in and 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 still you know play at the required level to get over the line in potentially two two trophies. So it's it's a massive thing. It does sound like they are slowly becoming, you know coming back. Vieira, we think, could be back next week. Like I said, Smith rowes not a bad one. I've told mm. the party's not far away but again it's hard it's hard to to say that with any confidence um and jesus and zinchenko it's not you know it's not a bad thing so they're not far away from having a real strong squad and you just you do need that at this stage of the season What,
1: what do you think of the what do you think the future holds for gabriel jesus at arsenal because he was brought in as the number nine and he wears the number nine and you know we we in his first season, we could all see what a big upgrade he was on Alexandre Lacazette, you know, in terms of how he played the game, his mobility, what he brought to the team, the kind of cohesion that he brings to, to Arsenal in the final third. But if he is going to be in and out, if he's a sort of in and out player now because of injury, does it does it change his potential role or his position in the team? All the talk of striker, all the talk of going out and spending big money on a big name striker this summer, which you know I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that Arsenal are going to do. I think we'll we'll bring in a forward, but I'm not sure it's going to be one of the one of the names that people uh, talk about. But does that maybe alter the role that Jesus could play? Is he, or do the injuries dictate to a certain extent that Arsenal? Need a bit more reliability up front, and then perhaps look to Gabriel Jesus as somebody who can, uh, you know, who can play wide as he has done for a, a large part of his career. Because you know, I think ideally, if he was fit every week, Mikel Arteta would play him up front every week. But he's not, and you know, at some point, you do have to make a decision, you know, on a player and and quite how much you rely on him. You know, for example, I, I think. Bringing in someone like Declan Rice is obvious because he's a really, really good player, and if you can get a player like that in, you absolutely should do it. But Arsenal, I I think also came to realise that there were reliability issues with with Thomas Partey. So you you sort of that informs how you go about doing your transfer business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we've, we. Do, I do think he's still got a really big part to play. You know, I don't see if a striker comes in or when a striker comes in. Because, like you, I, I agree. I think they are going to sign a striker this summer, um, and I, but I don't think that that would spell the end of Jesus at Arsenal by any means. And I think he's still got a big, big part to play whether that be more out wide at times. And, and I don't really see this striker coming in as being Jesus' replacement. I just think it's another layer of the squad that, you know, one week you can play Jesus, one week you can play whoever this new striker is. You can play one one out wide. And I just think, like you said, the the reliability issues with Jesus has to be factored into any thinking, any planning for the, for the following couple of seasons. Mm. Because, you know, previous injuries tend to dictate future injuries you know you don't if you're a player who picks up a lot of injuries it doesn't suddenly go away it doesn't seem to go away anyway as we found out with plenty of players um, and so you've got to you've got to plan accordingly and I think Arsenal will be planned accordingly but I you know I, I feel this is the summer we're probably going to see the end of Eddie Nketiah I imagine he will go this summer and this new striker will come in and then it'll be Jesus and this new striker battling it out for the number nine if the number nine if the new guy comes in then Jesus can play out wide he can play left um, he's such a good footballer, he's so talented, and he can play out wide. We've seen him play out wide. And, you know, that could give an opportunity to rest a, a Saka or a, a Martinelli. It, it just immediately improves your squad, mm. I think. If you've got if Jesus isn't basically the only option, it just and but he's still there, it just immediately improves your squad. And that's what Arsenal have to do this summer. If you're gonna again compete and close it, consistently close that gap and compete against Man City every single week, every single season. You've just your transfer windows now have got to be Really, sort of focused and deliberate on improving the areas of the squad Mm -hmm. that can take you to the next level, and that is that is one, yeah. But that doesn't spell the end of Jesus. By I I think he's still got a really big part to play, and I think a lot of people, the injuries with Jesus, you kind of you know, people are forgetting just how good a footballer is because whenever he is fit and he Mm. plays and he gets injured, I mean, look at his last game, Nottingham Forest scored the goal, got the assist, and then he gets injured, and it's just like he was man of the match that day, and then he gets injured, you know, before the previous injury was. Severe away, wasn't it? Yeah, where it was he unbelievable. he just ran the yeah, show, produced yeah. that performance and then got the hamstring injury and was out for a couple of months after that. And it's just a real shame, but I still think he's got a massive part to play.
1: You mentioned Eddie. I, I do think it is interesting that, you know, we're into the second half of the season. At the start of the season, when Jesus was not available, Eddie started. He started mm-hmm. a lot of games at the start of the season. And, and, you know, I think about the game at the weekend where Jesus is not available and Mikel Arteta Went a different direction and has gone a different direction, and and when you look at the amount of minutes um, that Eddie has played, you know they're getting smaller and smaller as the season goes on. It does feel like if a new striker comes in, there's only one real option for him if he wants to if he wants to play regular football. Um, I mean, do you think there'll be any shortage of? Suitors for Eddie and Ketty. I know people had some concerns about well, if you put him on a big contract, blah, 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 it'll be very difficult to sell him, but the experience he's got at Arsenal, he's still only what, twenty-four years of age. Um probably a lot of clubs out there who would take a punt on on Eddie.
0: I think so. I don't think Arsenal would struggle to sell Eddie and Ketty. Um I think he's got a decent record for his age as a Premier League striker. I think it just feels right, timings-wise, from a club point of view and a player point of view this summer. Um, And I can't... I don't think they a struggle. You know, I I think Eddie's... Eddie will have a value to quite a lot of clubs in the Premier League for me. Um, You know, there's been long-standing interest from Crystal Palace in Eddie that hasn't gone away. It was still there in January. You know, I know they're about to go for a change in manager at the moment. So whether that changes Mm. things a little bit, we'll have to wait and see. But that sort of level of club, I think Eddie... Eddie would kind of fit very well. I mean he's going to he's going to have to go there and prove that he's good enough if he does go. Um he's got a lot of questions I imagine over him but you know I think I think he's I think he's ready to really go on and be first choice somewhere and um I think it just feels like the perfect time from both the club and the player point of view.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um I know this is absolutely absurd um but there were discussions and rumors and talks about um Kylian Mbappe and as it is a quiet week we might as well just play the hypothetical that it's so fascinating isn't it to see people
0: bring him in, go yeah, on but, yeah exactly easy, easy. <laughs> no,
1: no, but, but the whole like but would he really fit into Arsenal would you know, would the ego would the entourage, you know and clearly there would be some very substantial issues with regards to his salary and his wage demands and, and all the rest but it's fascinating to see people talk them out, uh, talk themselves out of a move um, for Kylian Mbappe. Which, you know, let me just put on the record: I don't think is going to happen, or will happen, or, or anything like that. But, you know, imagine. Imagine if you're bringing Declan Rice one summer and Kylian Mbappe the next. Um, you know, if, yeah, if that, that,
0: that that'll do the job. Yeah, I mean, it would be <laughs> it would
1: yeah. be uh, amazing to see it. But I, I, I,
0: I have laughed at some people uh, um, saying, "No, I don't know. I don't know if uh, that's the the perfect sort of signing at this stage of Arsenal's development." Kylian Mbappe, <laughs> it's like, yeah, just turn him down. We yeah. don't want him. We no one killing Kylian Mbappe. Um, yeah, obviously, it's not going to happen. But um, I, I mean, it would be it would be a dream, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I saw Thierry on CBS Sports yesterday on their Champions League coverage yeah, and they were asking him that, about yeah. it, weren't they? And he was like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know because all the stories saying Mbappe wants to... I mean, uh, it, uh, would it's... Would be willing to follow Henri to Arsenal and and do all that. Um,
1: this is... It but, comes from a, an article in The Independent by Miguel Delaney yeah, yeah. who, who in a very throwaway line, said, you know, Arsenal Mbappe would be willing to, to join Arsenal because of the Thierry-Henri thing. And obviously... Because
0: we're good now, right? Yeah. Not he, just he, out, if he out he's of willing, function. he could put his wages down to like two hundred and fifty grand a week and yeah. make it make it possible. But yeah. I'm not sure he's going to do. I mean, he's going to go to Real Madrid. Isn't he? I'm At sure all. he will. <laughs> he's definitely going to Real Madrid. He's not going anywhere else. It's interesting. You know, I mean, Mbappe's summer's mental because he's got you got the Euros, he's got Olympic in France that he wants to do. You could end up signing him this summer. And you're not going to get to play him until about September, I don't think. And he's going to basically have played throughout the summer <laughs> internationally as well. Um, which I imagine might be putting a few people off at the moment but yeah, yeah. Um, it would well. be nice it would be nice i tell you what my son who is mbappe obsessed even though you know i still he's always in a head to toe in arsenal gear but honestly yeah. it is such a battle keeping kids away from mbappe and messi messi now they support players more than they support teams um, mm-hmm. and it would uh, yeah i think that it, for all the good reasons for mbappe coming to arsenal i think the fact he would actually fully Convince my son to be an Arsenal fan would be the best, <laughs> would be the best. There we go.
1: There's the there's the final uh, reason that Mikel Arteta and Edu need to, to push the boat, uh, boat out this summer yeah. for Kylian Mbappe. I, d- I do think it's amazing though that line in that piece from Miguel Delaney got reported by the Mirror, and then all of a sudden it, it transforms itself into you know the 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 transfer stories that do the rounds and all the uh, websites and publications and stuff like that, and then it just you know becomes this circular thing according to X according to to X and then it just sort of snowballs um, but you know nobody should hold their breath over over Killian Mbappe should they hold their breath over Ivan Toney do you think? Brentford have brought in or have purchased or uh, found an agreement to, to sign a, a new striker uh, Igor Tiago is his name, sounds like he was Created in a lab by a mad Brazilian scientist, yeah. uh, but he's coming from Club Bruges, and and Ivan Tony is is uh, is definitely going to leave Brentford this summer. To what extent do you think Arsenal will be interested in him? Because you know, there's a football side of it, and then there is a non-football side as well to to consider. There is some baggage uh, with this player as well.
0: There is some baggage with it. Like, I, he's definitely a player that Arsenal have been interested in i i like you and i listened to you you and james uh, earlier on in a week and you were talking i think it was this week you were talking about mm. it and you were you were saying you're not convinced that it's going to end up being one of the names that's you know an awesome and a tony and i mm. kind of agree with that i do think there is definitely interest in tony but a lot of it's going to depend on what brentford demand and what other clubs come come in because there's going to be interest from elsewhere and I, I don't see arsenal go into the sort of money that that Brentford are probably going to demand for a player of Tony's age with one year left on his contract, who, like you said, does have a little bit of baggage. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they sign him, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think they're probably going to go down a, a slightly different route when they do bring in this attacker come the summer. Um, I would kind of, I do, I do like Ivan Tony. You know, I have to admit, I do, mm. I do quite like the idea of him at Arsenal. Um, but it's an interesting one, the forward, isn't it? It's like, what do you do? Do you how? Do you go down a Gabriel Jesus right type forward or do you completely change it up and bring in this sort of completely different option that you don't yeah. have in the squad, which would be a, a kind of Tony option or not? It's going to be really intriguing to see what Arsenal ultimately choose to do with the forward. Um, and I'm not quite sure in my mind what the best route would be. Uh, like, well, what do you think?
1: I don't know. You know, I, I feel like I've said this before that I feel our forward line is a bit five foot nine at times. Mm. And obviously, the the addition of of Kai Havertz as a potential option at centre forward, you know, which he's played there a couple of times and done quite well, uh, although I'm not necessarily convinced by his heading ability, uh, despite his six foot four height, you know, maybe offsets that a little bit. But I do think someone of the sort of physical stature of of Tony, he's a bit bigger than you think, you know. I remember going to see the game against Brentford last season, and he gave William Saliba. A very, very hard time. That's the,
0: still the hardest I've seen. Yeah. The most I've seen Saliba struggle in a game was that game. And Tony, Tony gave him a Torrid time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, David Raya was pumping those long balls, those diagonals out to the wing, and Tony was either taking them on his chest or flicking them on, winning the headers. You know, Saliba doesn't struggle. So, you know, that that kind of profile certainly gives you something a bit different. The thing is, though, is like if you go and you spend... Like Declan Rice, you can spend a hundred million on because you know Declan Rice is gonna be one hundred percent first name on the team sheet kind of player. I don't know that Ivan Tony would necessarily be exactly that. You know what I mean? I think he would be a very good addition to the Arsenal squad. Sure. But is he gonna start every single game? Therefore, can you justify the kind of expense um Maybe it won't be quite as much as you know some of the figures that are being bandied around because he is going to be 28 in in March, I think, and then you know he's 12 months left on his contract. That will have an impact on his price, but it might also be impacted by who else is yeah. after him. Who else might be in the market for a striker? And I suppose Chelsea might be a club. Um, Spurs, Spurs, maybe as well. So you know, there there could be a, a sort of another element to this is that you could end up paying a bit more because you're having to battle off somebody else.
0: Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think that probably will that will happen. I imagine there's going to be quite a big market for it because mm. clubs are in the. Um, there are several top clubs who are going to need a striker. Uh, I think, but like you, that that different kind of striker. I think I do like the idea of Arsenal adding that this this summer. But I don't necessarily think it has to come in and he has to be the guaranteed starter. Like when you were saying, he had, is Tony going to start every week? Mm. Like Declan Rice, is first name on the team. sheet. I don't think they really need to do that. I just think they need another They need another option, whether that be... So you can play Tony or you can play Jesus or you can play Trossard. Just a different... Uh, and that's why I like Tony because he is that different option to all of the options that Arsenal already have. And I think mm. he can come in and make a big difference. I think he's pretty hungry as well. I think he would love that move. Kind of Ian Wright type age player who's worked his way up again kind of like right it's got that obviously very different players but it it kind of reminds me of that and i imagine he will if he gets this move he'll be very very hungry wherever he ends up going yeah Um, Mm. and and i do think he'll make i do think he'd score goals in this arsenal team and ultimately that's what you want if you're going to spend that sort of money so i would yeah i wouldn't be against it but um, I think it's far from a foregone conclusion what what Arsenal are going going to do in, the, in when it comes to the summer.
1: Yeah, they probably know themselves, but they're playing their cards pretty close to their chest. Uh, yeah. I would say at this but point, to,
0: it's like you, you're going to have the list, aren't you? You're going to have your first choice, second choice, third choice, and and mm. it, again, it'll be interesting if every single player on that list sits, um, sort of fits the same sort of profile in terms of what t- type of forward it is.
1: Yes, that's true. We'll see if those names come out because you know let's not forget the Declan Rice stuff came out towards you know what was it? the end of December there thereabouts uh, last season and, and sort of the second half of the season was all about you know, everyone's going. Well, we know Arsenal want Declan Rice. We know that this is the player that Arsenal are, are keen to bring in, and we don't necessarily have that clarity yet on on who that no. forward option uh, is or or might well be. Speaking of scoring goals, Kaio Saka scored his 50th and 51st goals as a good piece on Sky Sports, which I'll add um, a little link to in the in the show notes um, from Nick Wright, uh, who looked at his stats and looked at what he's done at at the age of 22, the amount of goal contributions he has in comparison to some other players, um, which is just sort of an interesting benchmark, not to say that um, he is going to be better than those players. He's got more goal uh, contributions um, at his age than Cristiano Ronaldo did, for example, Um, which, of course, is not to say he's going to go on and and be as prolific and as uh, long... What's the... I have the longevity of Cristiano Ronaldo, I should say, but... um, you know at 22 it feels like there's still so much more to come from bekayo saka
0: yeah which is he's,
1: so exciting
0: it's so exciting he's just an incredible talent he, re- he really really is and I, I think we take him for granted in in a way i think a lot of people take him for granted what he's done at his at his age it's just remarkable and those numbers from nick in that piece um which was really really good mm. it, it kind of summed it up and you know we we're very very lucky to have him and for him to have come through the academy. You know, Arsenal can... There's a great deal of pride about what what Bukayasaka is doing at Arsenal. Yeah. And um, not just what he's doing on the pitch, because, you know, numbers speak for himself, but the way he does it and the way he handles himself off the pitch. You know, he's just such a great guy. I remember being over in Frankfurt when he um, scored his first Arsenal goal in the Europa League game when he was 17. And we're all down in a huddle afterwards, down down waiting in the mix zone. And Arsenal were like, right, we're going to bring Bukayo out, but, you know, he's this is a 17-year-old kid. He's never done anything like this before. And there was all of us, you know, all the travelling press pack who go around there, probably about 15 or 20 strong. And they're like, just be be gentle with him, be careful, he's going to come in, you know. And, and he just walked in there and there was no nerves. He was just brilliant like that, you know, talking. You could just tell straight away, it's like, yeah, this kid is mm. something different about him. He's absolute got total confidence in himself the way he handles himself the way he talks he's just so grounded and you kind of knew he was going to be very very special and um and yeah and he's absolutely gone on what he's gone on to produce and so it's just absolutely fantastic and even this season in a way we've all been looking at it and thinking you know is is Saka at his best have we seen him at his best and then you look at his numbers again this season and what he's producing and it kind of makes a mockery of that whole conversation really it's like um He's so, so good and there's so much more to come from him and that's the most exciting thing, isn't it? And the fact that Arsenal have got him tied down to a new contract brilliant. I mean, the the whole debate about whether he's world-class, I mean, the Rio Ferdinand rubbish this week, which really annoyed me in a way. I got sucked (laughs) into it when I know I shouldn't and I got sucked into it. And I kind of, I felt really annoyed of myself for getting sucked into it as well (laughs) because I hate that sort of debate. It's like, in my mind, uh, um, Bagai Saka for me is world-class. I mean, I know there's that debate of what is world-class. Are you talking about Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo and that's it? Or, mm. And I don't think that is what world-class is in my mind. I know we've all got our own opinion on world-class, but world-class is if you're a top-level player and you, every single club in Europe would bang the door down and sign you like that if you're available. You know, and Bakaya Saka is one of those players. Um, and you know, the rubbish that uh, Ferdinand was spouting about, oh, he, he needs to win things before he can be considered world-class. If Saka was playing in Man City for the last two seasons, they, they would have won exactly what they've won now and he'd have all those trophies. It's not his fault he's been playing, not been playing for Manchester City. Um, so generally, in my mind, he's absolutely world class. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. And- I try, I, I try not to pay too much attention to what uh, Rio Ferdinand says you know about anything at any time
0: i'm, I'm so bad at it, andrew i get sucked into it <laughs> ne- neville and Carragher as well it's like every time i say to myself i'm not doing it again i'm not doing it again and then i end up getting sucked into it and getting yeah. really annoyed about it I, really-
1: I, I tend to get a bit more um sucked into the the nonsense when it involves gary neville because you know i've got long-standing uh, antipathy for for him and the way he behaved and and all the rest ferdinand is just like this guy you know, I don't really have to listen to anything he's saying. It, it is, like you say, the, the, the sort of most fatuous debate in football, the what is world class. I think you've kind of nailed it there. Like Phil Foden is obviously a really, really good player, but look where Phil Foden has been playing, under who, with who, you know, a team that's won five of the last six titles. Are you telling me that it would be any different if Pakaio Saka was at Manchester City? Absolutely not. But it is. it is about, like, who would want you? Like, if you were available tomorrow, who would come and buy you? Like, uh, forget the money side of it. Which clubs would come and buy you? And I think Arsenal at this moment in time have maybe four or five players who are absolutely in the the sort of um, the ballpark of, like, All the big clubs in Europe would take them um, if they were available. Forget just the Premier League, right? But, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich. If money was no object, Saka would be one. I think Martin Odegaard would be very close as well. Declan Rice would be one. William Saliba would certainly be one. I'd say Gabriel. Low-key would be one of those players because of how consistent he's been and probably Gabriel Martinelli as well. You know, so there. I think the difference is, though, when, when you um, have this world-class debate, you know, players who do have those medals, you know, they get a, not an advantage, but, you know, someone like Mo Salah, someone like Holland, someone like De Bruyne, again, it comes down to, to where they're playing, but they do have the, the medals um, to show for it. And maybe because they're a little more developed as well, they're more mature, some of those players, that they have been able to... Um, help their clubs achieve what we hope these players will help Arsenal achieve in the years to come. You know, think about, was it Nick who made the point in uh, the Sky Sports article about Mo Salah and what he was doing at the same age? Yeah. Um, Mo Salah was playing for Basel. Yeah. At the same age as Bakao Saka and then went to Chelsea and did fucking nothing there and then, you know, came to Liverpool and, and blasted off, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's just that when, when I talk about what he's done at that age, it's just remarkable. Mm. And um, yeah, the way he's taken it, every single level he's played at as well, whether it be, you know, look, look what he's done in the Champions League this season, it, albeit against teams who probably belong slightly more in the Europa League. But still, he's, you know, there's been no stage fright or anything like that in no. the Champions League. He's stepped up straight away, scored Arsenal's first goal back in the competition. And he did it in the Europa League when he was there. He's done it for England. He's done it at the World Cup. You know, whatever level he plays at, he just. You know, if he doesn't sink. He doesn't sink. He swims every single time. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that's a measure of him and his ability and his confidence that he has in himself. And um, yeah, like you said, he, he would walk into anything. I love the fact I spoke about this on my uh, YouTube channel this morning. That um, have you seen the? Um, actually, you have because I read your uh, your blog this morning, the Martinelli to Barcelona. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that came out <laughs> um, this morning. And, but I love the fact now. You know, all the years that we had to sit there and. So you know, you, the way the media works in Spain and, and how they try to do things, we had to sit through that all the time and wait for the inevitable to happen and players to eventually get cherry-picked and to go off and go. But I love the mm. fact now where Arsenal are, the strength that they are, the squad they've got, the, the way the club is run now. I love, you don't even have to worry about those rumours anymore. You can just see them and just think, Barcelona oh, aren't coming in for Martinelli. A, they can afford him anyway because it's yeah. such a basket case for a club now and how they are run. But B, you wouldn't want to go there. I don't think anyway. Certainly not now. And mm-hmm. it was the same when the Arteta stuff came out—a a, a six weeks or so, or whatever it was. You know, it's just nice. I just think it—it it really shines a light on where Arsenal are now as a club and the strength, the position of strength that they're coming from uh, with these players in this squad. I mm. think it's a really good thing.
1: I mean. A few years ago, certainly when, you know, things after Arsene Wenger didn't go well and things under Unai Emery didn't go well, it was hard to look at Arsenal as as a well-run club, as a stable environment, which was, you know, which which sort of had joined up thinking, right, from top to bottom, which is what you need, uh, you know, to achieve things in this game. Um, You know, whatever else you want to say about Manchester City, and there are probably 115 things we could say right now, but but this is an extremely well run club from top to bottom and you know it should be because of their resources and all the rest but you know they 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 brought in top football executives they brought in the best manager in Europe at that time and who probably still is the best manager in Europe and you know they they have in place a structure as well as the resources the finances and and everything else to help them achieve what what they want to achieve And what Arsenal, I think, have now, uh, and I think it's evident because we have um, succeeded with not just recruitment, but retention. Players like Saka, like Saliba, like Martinelli, Gabriel, Odegaard, you know, new contracts that you can only convince players to put pen to paper on a new contract when they know a this is a stable environment and B, this environment is conducive to me achieving my my sporting ambitions, my footballing ambitions, which, you know, for these guys, when you're that good, have got to be Premier League medals and Champions League medals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those sort of players are only going to commit in their future if they believe in, mm. believe in the way that the club is being run and believe in the sort of project that they're being sold. And they do believe that at the moment. I mean, you've, you've got to, that will only last for so long. You've got to sort of, Maximise, yeah, yeah, You've yeah, got yeah. to start winning. And that's what Ars- Arsenal's big challenge is now. And it's very hard when you've got the sort of machine that is Manchester City ahead of you. Um, and so, But they're going to have to navigate that and, and prove that they can win trophies with this team. And hopefully they will. But yeah, I mean, the club is now is very well... It could have gone in a very different direction. I mean, you think that not so, you know, not long ago at all to when, like you said, at the end of Wenger and then Ivan mm-hmm. did his runner off to Italy after you know, which still annoys me when I think about it, you know, basically created this huge power vacuum at a time when you really needed stability. And, you know, he, he did what he did. And then, you know, Raoul came in, he kind of seized control of power and all that mess that was going on there. Mm. You know, Arsenal could have gone a very different way, but they came through that. They settled things down. You've got to give the ownership credit, I think, um, for the way that they've done it, for the trust that they've put, for some of the appointments that they've made. And the club now just feels very, very united and very... And you feel that just walking around the training ground, you know, they're, they're, people are very... They're just there. You see people now, mm. whereas before you didn't, but now you see, you know, you walk in, sometimes Ed will come to a press conference, sometimes you'll see Richard Garlick, Tim Lewis will be there, and they're all around the place. They're all. It all feels very hands-on, like a very well-oiled thing at the moment. You know, people are pulling in the same direction and working together and you, ne- you never really felt like that yeah. years before it and you know th- it's the only way a club is going to be successful and it's certainly the only way anyone is going to challenge Manchester City is by everyone pulling in the same direction.
1: For sure I mean I think you you know when you talk about the owners there have been many discussions about the Cronkies and KSE I think what you would have to say is that they maybe learned from their mistakes mm-hmm. that there is probably a better way of of uh, going about making key decisions that, that, that due diligence and a good process when it comes to hiring people is really, really important, especially people who are you know, right at the very top of the club and making decisions which have an impact for years and years and years to come, you know, signings and players and, you know, you could be stuck with a guy that you signed, you know, for free and you gave him a big wage and, you know, all all of these things. And I think it says plenty that Raul, since he left Arsenal in uh, August of 2020 is nowhere. There's no football club that's working with him or he's not working at any football club. And that's, you know, four years of have passed more or less um, in that time. Let's do a couple of um, quick ones just to sort of finish us off here. There's a story today um, about Carlos Cuesta, who's one of Mikel Arteta's coaches, um, being targeted by Norwich for the manager's job next season. I mean... His story is so fascinating, actually, Carlos Cuesta. He's only 28. Mm, Very young. He started coaching at Atletico Madrid as an 18-year-old. Most 18-year-olds want to be playing football. Um, I don't quite know whether he can or he can't, or, you know, there could be an injury. Who knows? But being involved in coaching at a, a very young age being part of Mikel Arteta's team since, what, the age of 24 there thereabouts, 2019, this 24. Yeah, so, you know, coming up on five years, maybe 23 when he came in. um, I suppose it's inevitable when you are a good coach and you're involved in a team that's doing well that others will look at you and maybe, you know, his own ambitions in the game go beyond being an assistant. He's obviously spending uh, spent a lot of time learning uh, under Mikel Arteta, but but perhaps the the longer term plan for him is to is to try and you know do what Mikel Arteta does and and take charge of a team and impose his own style on them. So there is a connection as well, isn't there? The 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 sporting director at Norwich is Ben Napper, who used to be the the loan uh, manager or the loan. Um, I can't remember. Is it Lone Manager? Yeah, Lone Manager, yeah. All I could think of there was Lone Ranger, and it just, you know, that's (laughs) that's a completely different thing. Um, But yeah, interesting link for Carlos Cuesta. And he's, you know, an important part of the team. Um, Does a lot of individual stuff with players as well. He
0: is, and the players really like Carlos. He's a, he's a, he's very popular behind the scenes. He, um it doesn't surprise me that these sort of links are going to are going to start he's very you know he's very highly rated he's very talked about within the game um and like you said the ben napper link makes it entirely plausible this one i it's a it's 28 i mean that is young yeah. i know you, i know managers are getting younger and younger and younger but that is very young to walk into your first job um and yeah we'll we'll see what happens with it but i think um I think with him, it was interesting when Steve Round left right at the start of the season. You know, he wasn't replaced, and I I felt that was that was always going to be the case because these talented young coaches Arteta has sort of working with him, they Mm. need to be shown that there is a little bit of a pathway to you know continue progressing. And so when Steve left and wasn't and and it wasn't replaced, it you know Carlos was able to step up and take a a more hands-on role and become even more senior in the in the coaching team, but. I suppose you can only get to a certain point with that and if jobs start getting waved in front of you that are very very tempting you're going to look at it and you know you kind of look at enzo Moresca at leicester at the moment you know mm. still a very young coach older obviously than than um than carlos but again you know came through with, with pep was part of that team was seen and was seen as a very appealing option and i imagine people are looking at arsenal they look at the work that arteta is doing they look at how impressive Mikel arteta is and look at the team working under him and thinking oh we could you know, fancy a bit of that. And yeah. Like Ben Napa knows him very, very well. So I don't know what will happen with that on it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just a kind of natural order of football, isn't it? That these sort of things are going to, they're going to happen. I know that Mikel won't want to lose him, but I don't think he'd stand in his way. He should a really good offer, you know, good, yeah. good offer arrive in the summer.
1: Yeah. 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 It would be a big opportunity for him. Um, Arsenal women. Against Manchester United sold out. Sold out. Amazing, isn't it? It's incredible, isn't
0: it? I think the best thing about that is it's not even a surprise mm. anymore, is it? It's just like it's almost a, a given that you're going to have at least over 50 or 55, and now you know, a full on sellout. Is just, it's just fantastic that uh, what we're seeing there and um, the support that the club is getting is, is fantastic.
1: Big game though. There is a, a preview podcast available for you guys uh, right now. If you're listening, uh, Tim uh, has got an Arsenal women Arse cast for you. But it is a it is a very big game for uh, for Jonas Eideval, who's under maybe just a little bit of pressure. And you know, when you look at the table. This could be almost decisive in a way in that there's a four-point gap between Arsenal and Manchester United. Make it seven. It's very, very difficult for United to to overturn that. You've got a top three currently of Chelsea, Man City and, and Arsenal. And those three would be sort of out on their own if Arsenal can get the right result this weekend against United.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously they had a good win in the Conte Cup to sort of bounce back after the disappointment of losing to Manchester City. But there is definitely pressure on, on Yodis. I mean, you don't want that gap to Chelsea. It's already looking at six points at any time against Chelsea. It's already a big gap, isn't it? You don't want it to mm. to get any further than that. But, um, you know, I, I think they kind of arrested the slump, if you want to call it that, early on in the season when they'd started the league a little bit slowly. They went out. You know, the Champions League was a huge disappointment to the club in terms of not just going out of the Champions League, but the plans they had for the Champions League games at the Emirates. You know, that was a big, mm. big disappointment. And then it looked like they were getting themselves back on track. And then, you know, things have... They've had a couple of poor results recently, so it is a massive game. You know, hopefully they can get the win and then they can, you know, have a strong end to the season. Um, but yeah, I think for for Jonas, it's definitely it's definitely a big one. But it was interesting, you know. Again, when kind of what we, they did with Arteta when Arteta had a few poor results when he signed his new contract last time, you know, Jonas was people looking at it thinking, oh, he's going to be under a bit of pressure. And then he was rewarded. You know, the new mm. contract was in. It's like, no, no, we're all together again. We're United. He's getting his new contract and we're continuing to build. So they certainly showed him a lot of backing when they did that.
1: All right, well, fingers crossed for them. We um, Because it was a quiet week, I asked for a few questions from our Discord, so we'll, I'll fire those at you, uh, at you. We can do them relatively um, quick fire. Uh, Gustav, uh, no, Gustav BL, uh, that's what it is, says, are we genuine Champions League contenders? Can't help feel that we're probably the second or third best team left in the tournament after watching the games this week.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely Champions League. I mean, <laughs> What do you think? I I think uh, there's obviously there's Manchester City, which is the big, but if someone takes them out Manchester City, I mean, Arsenal played City twice this season, not lost to them, beating them both times if you include the Mm. penalty shootout. Um, So yeah, they're absolutely contenders. I mean, it'll be really difficult. You're going to need a little bit of luck along the way, but got to be viewed as contenders, surely. A really good team. Arsenal are a really, really good team now, and they are incredibly difficult to play against. Yeah do not concede many goals they do not allow many chances even against the elite teams you know Manchester City at home this season Liverpool at home this season I think they've conceded two shots on target in those two games combined Mm. incredibly difficult to play against Um, and so they have to be viewed as contenders I'm not saying they're going to win it but they have to be viewed as contenders for it
1: I think they have to believe that themselves as well you know that, that this is a competition that you know if the draw goes the right way if a big team gets knocked out you know, all of a sudden you can find yourself in a very favourable position. Um, so,
0: yeah. I, I watched yesterday. I watched PSG yesterday, mm. and, and I thought there's nothing to really fear. Obviously, they've got some really good players who can, on on any day, can win a football match. And it has to be taken into account. But I watched it. I, thought I would not fear playing PSG. I, I would not fear playing play Bayern Munich. I watched Leverkusen play Munich absolutely off the park at the weekend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've got Real Madrid to get past, who we know are always there and thereabouts in the Champions League, and you've got Manchester City to get past. But other than that, I've got to say Arsenal. It's got to be City, Madrid, Arsenal. I haven't looked at the odds, but that, surely I would say they're they're right up there. Maybe Bayern are, are in there as well, just because of their name. But I would say those three are the top the top three for the Champions League. Uh,
1: let me have a look at the odds here. Um, Champions League odds. No, it's just give me individual games. Uh, overall winner. See what the uh, see what the betting sites say. Uh, let's see. Man City fifteen to eight. Arsenal are third favourites yeah. according to many bookies. Actually,
0: so uh, it makes sense though. Mm. I, I would say. I mean, the bookies aren't are stupid, and um, so yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think they have to be seen as contenders, one hundred percent. Which is an exciting thing to say, Andrew. It is.
1: If I offered you one right now. If I offered you a Premier League or a Champions League. What would you take?
0: Premier League, right? Yeah, I, and it pains me to say that in a way because obviously I've never seen Arsenal in the Champions League, and the memories of Paris still haunt me to this day. <laughs> and you know, I know you were there as well, and it was just a horrible experience. The journey home, I'll never forget. But um, I just think the Premier League, the for me, it's the elite competition. It's the hardest thing to win, mm. and we haven't won it for twenty years. And, you know, if Arsenal won the Premier League this season, then absolutely Champions League next season. But I just think the Premier League shows you are the best of the best if you win the Premier League. I don't think winning the Champions League shows you're the best of the best.
1: I can't can't argue with that in any way. I, I agree with it. But I think, you know, just just to have the thing we've never won. Yeah. I think it's overdue for this football club. We're too big a club to have never won it. So um, I'll go the other way. Maybe we'll both get uh, what we're looking for at the Let's end of the season. Double. Let's do the double, exactly. Um, let me ask you this one. Speckle Jim says, um, to match City and potentially Liverpool in the run-in, we need at least one player to do a Freddie and score 10 uh, goals in maybe 10 or 12 games a little unexpectedly who in the squad is most likely to do that oh that's a good one
0: I oh, wanted that two thousand 2002 season that Fred- Freddie's run at the end oh yeah ju- that was just so so special I always meant the West Ham game in that in that running when he scored from Bergkamp's pass and uh, when Arsenal had been terrible that day it was a really tough game and it looked like it was going to slip away and then he popped up and scored that goal it was just I'll always remember Freddie for that goal um who would do a Freddie? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Le- Trossard maybe pop up suddenly mm. get on a goal scoring on a on a goal scoring run. Um, yeah, Trossard maybe Martinelli, someone like that. I mean, it'd be a different position. Obviously, you're not going to get. We haven't really got a Freddie in our squad now, have we? You can f- run from deep from central. Yeah, to do it, but um, yeah, but- I'd say maybe Trossard, someone like that. I would back to suddenly you know go on a bit of a scoring run. Yeah.
1: It would be amazing if it was someone like Smith Rowe who came in and just grabbed a few off the bench, you know.
0: Um, It would be great if he had – I was talking to someone the other day about Smith Rowe and saying I I would love more than anything else for him to have a kind of Reese Nelson moment. Yeah. Um, It would just be so special for him. Uh, I know know it would be. And, you know, what what happens with Emil in the summer, we'll have to wait and see. But I would love him to have a big moment before the summer just in case what might happen happens i'd mm. love him to have a big big moment because he deserves it
1: yeah it's been so tough for him over the last couple of years i don't know if my heart can stand another bournemouth moment <laughs> <laughs> you know that's sort of uh, the dread and then the excitement but uh yeah if someone pulls it out uh, uh i'd love it to be uh i'd love it to be emile smith rowe and uh let's do, uh, do this one very finally snooner gunner says if charles was to write a book similar to revolution but for another premier league club over the last five years which would you focus on
0: i mean no one (laughs) (laughs) to that i would not put myself through writing a book about anyone other than Arsenal. <laughs> absolutely not. The chore like, of it. Yeah, absolutely not. I would never put myself through a, a, anything other than Arsenal to, to do it. It was so, uh, it was so tough. So, uh, yeah, no, no one. Absolutely okay.
1: not. Okay. That's, you know, I, I uh, applaud that kind of, the purity of your support right there, you know. How have you found this season back in the stands more often
0: than not? Brilliant. Loved it. I mean, I am, you know, I, I am still in the press box Quite a bit, certainly for away games, but yeah, I'm loving the, I'm loving the home games. Um, just being around, going to the pub before the game, enjoying that, meeting up with mates, and um, just being with my dad during the match. Yeah, I'm 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 loving it. It's brilliant. I mean, the the Liverpool game so it was just really really great. Um, Man City as well earlier on in the season. They're having those sort of moments. With my mm. dad again. Yeah, yeah, it's just been it's just been brilliant.
1: All right, well, let's hope you have loads more moments um, in these home games uh, between now and the end of the season. For now, we leave it there. Charles, as ever, thank you very much. Cheers, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts at Charles underscore Watts. And of course, you can find all of his Arsenal content on his website, CharlesWatts.Football. That is CharlesWatts.Football. Links to his YouTube podcast and all the rest in there. Right. That is just about that for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be looking ahead in a bit more detail or in any detail at all to our game against Burnley on Saturday the <laughs> Over on Patreon, tomorrow afternoon, we will have our usual Premier League preview podcast for you. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will talk about all the things that emerge from Mikel Arteta's press conference. Look ahead to the game. Look at the opposition, what way they might set up, etc., etc. So join us for that. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. It's patreon.com forward slash Blog. It's around a fiver a month, five fifty a month. And you get access, instant access, to all of the content that we have on there uh, tomorrow and going forward. As well. So, patreon.com forward slash rspog for now. Take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye bye.